Hello and welcome to another Not Chilly podcast. On episode 19, Josh and I talk about the film Jarhead, directed by Sam Mendes. There is not really much I can say about us talking about this podcast that isn't already said in the podcast, so I'm just going to jump right in and let you guys listen. Thanks for being a part of this. The rating system ad is what I miss. Not the the amazing, uh, would you steal a car? No, 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 no. The rating one, not the piracy one. The old one from VHS where it had like all these mixes of different movies and it was like, this movie has this content and it'd be like, hey, ah, ha, ha, hasta la vista, baby. And it would have like a mashup of the movies. Awesome. I didn't. And it's funny that I still remember like the way that the two guys laugh. One of them goes, hey, and the other one goes, ah, ha, ha, and they put each other. I think they're on a boat. I think that there is an amazing art form to getting something stuck in your head, like when people try to do it intensely, and it's kind of funny what gets stuck in your head. Like, obviously, we we have the the cliche, nine four eight one double one double one nine four. I can't get that fucking out of my head, and I I I think that hasn't been a campaign for them in over a decade, and yet I remember it before the nine in New South Wales eight four. <laughs> Oh, what? What was it? So- 481111? 481111. Lucky Bastard's got that, just a nine, so it's not even that, like, difficult <coughs> to do. Um, all right. What am I... Oh, I need things. Josh, I need, a- I need lots of things. Ah, oh, man. How are you? How are I'm you? All right. You good? Oh, fuck. How are you? Yeah. Just all right? Yeah. What's going on in your life? Very pleased with the weather today. Not really an outdoorsy person, but really, we're uh, up to weather already. But, Man, uh, first fucking sentence, <laughs> first question I asked. It's you. so nice. It's like twenty degrees and sunny. It's fucking Man, it's this, lovely. This friendship is devolved. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, what have you you been up to? Oh, man, the weather's great. I love it. There is sunshine. You asked me a question. I gave an honest answer. You did. I'm just concerned about the honesty. I'm concerned that that's where the honesty has led us to. Tell me how you really feel, Josh. I like Jarhead. Yes. (laughs) Good start. I like Jarhead, too. Um, Well, let's... I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about Jarhead because you said it. What was it, 2005? Yeah, yeah, 2005. Um, film about... I mean, once again, it was always spoilers, as we all know. Like this. If you haven't seen that movie, you're insane because it's great. And it's funny because that's a bit like a reference to the film itself. <laughs> Insanity and, like, mental health and stuff. Uh, yes, if you haven't seen it, then that's pretty insane. I recommend watching it. Uh, I recommend Sam Mendes not watching the second trailer. Again. Yes, that's right. No, I'm the opposite. I recommend watching all of the trailers. And then go to the movies. Yeah, because you you like the mindfuck that is that particular thing. Yeah, I think because Jarhead for me as a film, as an audience member, was part of sort of a three-stage maturing uh, that I had. Um, So I've been extremely fascinated by war since I was fairly young, probably like... Probably about eleven years old. Why don't you go like marry that. it? Uh, don't want to be anywhere near it. And there were three films that came out that really um, gave me 
So the, the first being Saving Private Ryan and all of the, like, crazy stuff that happened. I must have been about 11 when I saw that. Mm-hmm. And um, I became, from that point, really interested in warfare. I'm pretty sure that's really when that fascination started, this idea of what you're so far from home and you're, like, doing all this crazy stuff. And But that's what it was like back then, you know? War was violent then. Mm. And sort of and this- war's not violent anymore. Well, but this is the thing, right? So, you didn't have YouTube, you didn't have any of that kind of stuff. There was no ready access to... If you didn't see it in a documentary or a film, uh, particularly if you were younger, like, you didn't... It was what you saw in pictures in a book. Didn't really even use the internet at that at mm. that age. I really didn't get into that until I was about 14, 15. And so, when I turned 15, Black Hawk Down came out, and that film uh, is about the Mogadishu... Um, uh, the events in Mogadishu uh, during the Somalian genocides, and it's so insanely violent. And the event happened in 1992, I think. Mm-hmm. 92, I don't know. I could look it up while you're doing that. Uh, I think it was 92. And um, there's really horrifically violent bits in it um, people getting shot at with an RPG and having it lodged in their body. A guy gets blown in half and he's still alive long enough to say something to his comrade, and I walked that out of that film with this just shadow cast over me that I was like, I thought that, like, I thought that was the way they fought in World War Two. All right. Like, really? in the 90s, like, what do... So, this stuff still happens. Like, you... Yeah, yeah. People still get blown up, and, like, war is horrific. It hasn't become some cleaned thing. Yeah. Um. So, that was sort of that disillusionment moment of this idea of wow it's actually really horrible um because you know i would say up until about 15 being an immature like boy uh i'd be the type of person who'd be really wanting to watch saving private ryan and that get kind of bored through the middle um yeah and then when jarhead came out 2005 um I would have been 19 and I was so amped to see this movie because the trailers are really like yeah fuck yeah this is a war movie America. you're gonna come and see this war movie yeah yeah and what that set up and this is my opinion I don't know if this was um intentional or intentional whatever. but I just can't imagine that it wasn't I go into this movie and I sit there and I follow this parallel of Tony Swafford uh who is the main character played by Jake Gyllenhaal his character goes through this thing of, I want to shoot shit, I want to shoot shit, I want to shoot shit. All these guys are amped up to go to war, and then nothing happens. And I, as an audience member, was sitting there being like, when is this movie going to get, like, fucking crazy combat awesome? Mm. Like, when's when's this movie going to get action-y? When when's this going to- Transformers? Well, yeah. <laughs> Not that far, but, like, you know, when's, like, when's it going to be, like, Black Hawk Down? When's, when's you know, the crazy shit going to happen? And that movie was this thing of going- was this, I left that movie with this self-reflection ref- of going, wow, you know, the the filmmaker just dangled this thing in front of you to see if you'd bite, you know, this I want a war film, I want a war film. I, as an audience member, was the same as the Marines uh, in the film. They watch Apocalypse Now and they're watching that scene where they're attacking um, the Vietnamese village. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they're all getting, like, hyped up on it because that's what they want to see. And it's like, as a young guy watching that film, that's who I realised after the film ended. I went, oh, I was behaving like them. I wanted the war scene to happen. And that's... You shouldn't want that mm. because war is shit and horrible and, and horrific. You see, it took me a few years to get to that same conclusion. I, like, watched the film. I was like, oh, this is boring. 
And then it took me like, I don't know, uh, maybe I was talking with someone about it, like, you know, what I thought about the film. And I was like, oh man, not my kind of jam. It was a bit, you know, a bit slow. And I think it was the moment when someone told me that it's the same director as American Beauty. And I was like, oh, that little <laughs> bastard. You're not allowed to like it just because of that. No, no. It just made me go, <laughs> I, I, I was, it was messing with me in that respect. I was the, 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 the little boy that wanted to see like guns go pew, pew, pew. He wanted you to parallel that experience. Mm. He wanted you as an audience member wanting to see a war movie have this paralleled experience to a character who wants to be in war. Yeah. And um, I just walked out feeling, sh- oh, b- to be perfectly honest, and I because I remember the emotion. It was so strong walking out of that cinema. I felt ashamed of myself. Really? Uh, totally. The film absolutely worked on me. It. I walked out going... It's disgusting that that's what you wanted out of this film. You should be ashamed of yourself. And Fair. that's why I fell in love with that film so instantly because it changed how I felt about those things. And it's really the point at which I stopped being... Um, like, when I watch Saving Private Ryan now, I, gen- I any war film, but particularly ones that are very uh, visceral, Black Hawk Down and, 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 um, and Saving Private Ryan are two really full-on... Uh, war films, thin, thin red line. I don't find as effective, but we can do a podcast on that at some point. I yeah, think, yeah. That film. Stay tuned. Yeah, people talk about it as a masterpiece, yeah. and I think it's good. But I'll, I'll shorthand it, which is essentially the film is voiceovered throughout by a bunch of the characters who it's really romanticized prose. The, the not prose, um, poetry. Like it's almost poetry what they're saying. Mm. And when, but you see those characters in the film. They're not intellectually capable of that thought process. Yeah, right. They're, they're not. That's not their thing. That's not who. The, why do they not at any point behave or talk that way in yeah. the film? So it lays this thing on that really comes off to me as deeply insincere as what their thought processes are. And that's why that film really uh, bugs me. Yeah, okay. But there are scenes in it um, like. For example, actually, our our friend uh, Matt that you're working with at the moment, um, his scene in that is I've never forgotten. Oh um, my god, he was in that film. Yeah, so he's like he's meant to be, I think, like 15, 16, a kid who lied to get in or something, and he's um, terrified, and it's it's really really good. I'm 99 percent sure I'm remembering that correctly, but I'm pretty sure that that's how it goes. And uh-huh. they have this like bit where there's a baby, a chick, a a, a baby bird, like struggling to stay alive in the mud. And yep. so there's horrible stuff that it just reminds you, oh, and we fuck up nature too and we do this and that. So anyway, I'll end that thin red line bit there. But um came from a point of finding the action sequences and the, the action stuff really interesting and exciting to it uh, making me feel uh, scared <laughs> and uncomfortable because that's ha- how it should make you feel. Um, I don't understand how people have done these things. Uh, I don't understand how they do it. But that that was... Jarhead was the film that really broke that... Uh, sense in me and really does mark the point at which I stopped being interested in action movies as a whole um, with obvious exception here and there like I loved you know Transformers that came two years later but there's always going to be action films I enjoy oh yeah uh, but in in it really made me appreciate uh, drama more than anything related to the other aspects of mm. genre um, and that it made me feel that you should use violence uh only when it's particularly in a war film only if it's either honest 
or necessary for the for the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and otherwise, it's not necessary. Yeah, um, that's kind of. I mean, I'm not going to say it's a pet peeve because I enjoy kind of the comedy of it, but it's why I can sometimes have a problem with Quentin Tarantino because he quite obviously uses like exaggerated, like uh, gory action moments and it's kind of funny and it kind of punchy and it works in his style and that's the part i agree with but part of me also goes did you need to tell the story that like that is that useful to the story yeah so i think i mean that's why i specifically said war films instead of just violence in film violence in film for me is a different so it's that's a broader thing of what you can do in it i mean funnily you know he's he made um um uh my god my brain has just gone totally flat um the Bastards movie. Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards, my God. That- well, my th- my gripe came from, like, not gripe, once again. It was just a moment in um, uh, Django Unchained, which, by the way, Jamie Lee Foxx, uh, same, he's also acted in that movie. Jamie Foxx? Jamie Foxx? Jamie Lee Foxx? Why am Jamie I adding, Fox. why am I adding the Lee? God. I Man, I am bad with names. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis is who you're thinking of. That is who the woman I'm from <laughs> The female actress from uh, who does an amazing job in... Uh, true lies. Oh, that's true. Lies. Uh, <laughs> that's so lame. Um, it's that moment when, in right at the end of the film, when he's like busting up the house. He's like he's been taken away, and he you know breaks out and he comes back. And there's that moment where he's and shooting they play, everyone. Um, Tupac. Oh crossed God! With, I didn't um, think of that. They play Tupac crossed with uh, James Brown. So he's coming through and it's like, that. see, that's why I love that scene. I love that scene because it's this, you know, ex-slave coming through and he's shooting everyone up to the sounds of uh, his people's 20th century music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, it's, all of that is brilliant and sick, but it threw me in that moment because I, because it's when that, what's her name? The lady pops out, like everyone's dead and she pops out and then he just turns and shoots and she goes flying back through the door she came through. I laughed hard, but then I was just like... No, fuck her. She was a slave owner. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't give the, a fuck what happened. She totally had the right to die. I wasn't... I'm not saying this. suggesting that, <laughs> like, that was... The fact that she was killed was wrong, but it was something that was... Something that made me feel uncomfortable about being so, like, this is funny. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, it, it just, it just depends on how it's done. That's so ridiculous. It's yeah. obviously... That's the difference between laughing at that and laughing at, you know, fucking something out of a film about 9-11 or, yeah, you know, yeah. some... Like, that's... It's it's totally different. I mean, that's the purpose of his violence. Um, however people feel about it, obviously people feel very different about it, but there's funny violence and there's non-funny funny violence. And for it to be funny, it has to be stupid. Yeah. And it has to be incredibly intentionally stupid. And that's, that's, that is what he does with his films. Like, the violence in his films is... I'm trying to think. Like, it's v- extremely rarely is it ever realistic. It's almost never yeah. realistic. It's which, so overblown. Which is kind of reminds me of that whole idea, which another movie we should do, uh, you know, coming up on Not Chilly Podcast, <laughs> uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, yeah. And I know that it, it's not a funny movie, but... It is. If, it's if got it, funny bits. It's got funny bits, but it's not actually, like, supposed to be funny. But if it was, if it was a fraction less crazy, it wouldn't have worked, I think. It was just... But that's Mad Max. I mean, it's almost well, a, it's a genre unto itself. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, 
But that's that's my whole point about it is that like it, it they did it right because they went yeah. for it. They didn't. They were, were confident and they just went ape shit totally. And if they pulled that back and tried to be sensible, no. I'd be like, nah, you've lost. But I mean, that's the beauty of George Miller is that he's like, uh, there was just no chance in hell that he was going to do something like that. And that's the thing like, you have to commit in a certain direction, and as long as you commit in a way that is uh, there's fidelity throughout the film, everything is sort of within context of what you've made. It's why, I don't know if you saw Jurassic World. No. But, like, there, there is a scene in that where a woman gets picked up by a pterodactyl and she's being flown around everywhere and then the pterodactyl dips her into the water, I think, and starts to drown her and then she gets brought, brought back up in the air. And then um, I think she's... I can't remember what happens. Like, you think that she's going to get saved or something and then this giant... I think it's the Mesiosaurus, I think. It's a giant sea... A reptile jumps out of the water and like eats her and the pterodactyl after it's like a minute long of just yeah, this woman right. being screaming horrified terrified at the fact CGI she's gonna budget. die but it is there's no like people wrote about it at the time because it's unacceptable you watch this film and you go what the fuck is that for yeah like it felt like it was trying to be a mirror of the way the lawyer dies in the original jurassic park yep. um but it wasn't like he just gets grabbed and thrown around, and that—that's what I would call like a gag death within that film. And that film, it's—it's it's PG, so it doesn't. That's kind of the most horrifying thing that happens in it. Um, but in I don't know in Jurassic World, it really felt he was also painted as not a nice person and these sorts yeah, of things. They yeah. kind of. You know, even though he's doing just, his job, which yeah. is the second time we've made reference yeah. to that, mind you, it's let, interesting. Let's talk about the exact opposite of that, Jarhead. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Jurassic World whole sucks. Concept. Moving on. Yeah, Jurassic World did not know understand itself. I didn't see it, but I've heard enough from you to be able to make that. No, call. no, no. You should watch it. Okay, maybe, maybe. We'll no, watch no, no. It you should no. You can watch it by yourself. I've seen it three times. I'm not three it. times. I, I know you like really watching films that you don't like more than you. To some degree. Anyway, um, but obviously Jarhead does not do those things. Obviously Jarhead takes an interesting perspective on violence and it takes it to like, I guess the forethought before, before violence actually happens every step of the way to get to the point where that's like, that's what I loved about it. It's like, it, it all leads up to the shot. Everything is pulling you towards that. These guys are talking about it. They're dreaming about it. That's what they want. They're sacrificing everything for that moment. Uh, and it's a genuine and absolute head fuck. Yeah. So, yeah, because the army is breaking you down as a human and mentally preparing you to do something that they then don't get you to do. Mm. And the thing is, when you sign up for these things, the periods of time that we're talking about is such that they'll go and they'll go to war, come back, and they've done their duty. Yeah. So, unless they re-enlist, that's it. So, they've wound them up for something that doesn't happen. And the problem is that they desense that... I'm talking, by the way, in the context of the film. I'm not talking about military. I'm talking about in the context of the film, mm -hmm. which is based on Anthony Swafford's book. and About his really, experiences. And what happened when he was in Desert Storm. And um, I think... That That is one of the most fascinating things about this film, is just getting people totally psyched up for something um, that you have to psych them up for, I imagine, because how else do you get people to be to do what a, sol a soldier has to do? Yeah. It's not... There's no two ways about it. They have to kill people at some point, uh, and you need them to kill people if that situation arises. Um, that's what they do. 
and it's necessary because we live on planet Earth. Yeah. And do you think that other, like, I mean, you you probably know more about this because of your studying, but uh, do you think other militaries around the world have similar kind of like like approaches to? Because I mean, it sounds like America has a particular like break you down to such a crazy degree, hype you up so hard for this, for violence and for patriotism and for everything. And then whatever happens, happens. I imagine it depends on what you sign up for, but boot camp, as far as I'm aware, I don't know how they do it in America, but in Australia, as far as I'm aware, boot camp is boot camp. Everyone gets put through the same thing. So that's the, that's the break you down and physically prepare you, put you back up, and that goes for however many weeks or... But to the same level of, like, patriotism, America, like, and the equivalent would be, like, Australia, for your country. You uh, actually, the Australian army swears to the Queen. Uh, there you go. pisses me off, but there you go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's the... Th- this is the thing, right? The only reason that armies work is because of nationalism, right? Yes. Because we know that uh, if you pay people without them swearing an oath to your country, good or bad, uh, by the way, history has taught us that you it can go awry. So, for example, uh, the most significant uh, example of it in history was the German Wehrmacht, right? So, they didn't swear their allegiance to the German people, they swore it to Hitler. And that, because of the German culture at the time, the what an oath meant... Right, yeah. you keep to an oath. It was taken very seriously, as they are with the military all around the world today. But <clears throat> they did what they did and fought as long as they did because of who they swore to. So that's that's why uh, patriotism, nationalism, is so important to the military, uh, to any military, because you need them to be loyal. And what are they going to be loyal to? Yeah, right. You have them have to have them be loyal to something. So. Uh, that needs to be, they need to believe that whatever they're loyal to is worth being loyal to and, you know, walking in front of bullets for or killing other people for. So, look, as far as I'm aware, and, you know, I have a friend who's in the military from what, yeah, it sounds to me like it's similar. Um, similar yeah. I do not want to be in the army. I no, that would not be an environment in which I would thrive. Oh no, it's uh, especially like we saw the film and um, the kind of bravado and the like, the unleashed masculinity, uh, which obviously might be of a particular time as well, because you know I think I imagine some things have changed. Uh, is just I don't know. I just. It, it makes me deeply uncomfortable, let alone the fact that they all sleep in the same area and, and like where they have to like sleep and in what conditions they, they work in and everything like that. And that's one of the great things about Jarhead is that, uh, when you go into these things, you need to go in with your eyes opened, but when you're 20 or 18 or whatever, uh, going in, I, I don't think you're really mature enough to go in no. or have an understanding enough of the world to go in. So you go into this thing and, all right, shit, this is what the army is? I'm fucked. Yeah. Uh, and and that's that's his his journey. He goes there because he thinks that that's what he should do uh, because of his he's, dad. Yeah, and yeah, he's family. isolated from his family and they're all fucked up and he doesn't feel he has anywhere to go. Um <clears throat> And from what I understand from the film, he doesn't seem to have the opportunity to go to college. So, um, he goes into the army and regrets it, as he says at the start of the film, basically immediately. Um, 
and that that is a flow that continues as soon as this war is over and as soon as he rotates back home and as soon as his time is up, he's out. Uh, you know, put up against, uh, drawing a blank on Peter Sarsgaard's character's name, but, uh, yeah, he, the, up against his friend who uh, can't stay in the army and all he wants to do is uh, stay in. Yeah, that's that beautiful scene at the end, mm. you know, where they kind of bring that to the forefront of the, in the dialogue, just saying, like, I want to leave and you want to stay and you're the one that has to leave. So, uh. You have to do a lot of work to earn that type of exposition. Yes, yes. <laughs> the film comes very far before anyone can just go, and this is what happened to the characters. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, and this is obviously, like, I, I can't help but draw comparisons between American Beauty and this film. Because, you know, in my head, I love... Like, if you were to describe this film, guy goes to war, amped up about bullets then killing people doesn't get to kill person goes home we see what happens it's like it's it's a pretty like the film itself isn't necessarily like it's not like dunkirk which kind of like amps you up amps you up amps you up and like it has like the tension keeps rising there is tension in this but it kind of it in my opinion it kind of plateaus but it's so the characters are so interesting well, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. the tension is coming from the nothingness. The tension is yeah. coming from the boredom. I mean, that's that, I think... Is a terrible elevator pitch. We're <laughs> going to create tension with boredom. Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah. Um, I think the pitch would probably have been, read this book. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that is a huge aspect of what the film is trying to say, because I imagine I really want to read his book now because I haven't ever read it. And uh, I imagine that that's a huge aspect of what Swafford discusses in his book. Talks about just how nothingness it all is and how the concept of warfare was so different from what it was one generation before. Mm. Uh, There's that great bit where Peter Sarsgaard's character is saying, you know, Vietnam, which was, you know, about 18 years earlier, uh, it would take them a week to go... A kilometre. A kilometre. And in World War One, it would take them a year. Uh, and now it takes, like, three seconds. Yeah. Um, and the fact that their concept of warfare is so built up around the previous experiences, their father's experiences, their grandfather's experiences, their great-grandfather's experiences, because of what their idea of warfare is, they get into this situation where their expectations are totally turned upside down by reality. Mm. Um and every time they're provided with it, it disappears. I mean, you see one Iraqi soldier in the whole damn film. Uh, the guy in the... Uh, the tower? In the control tower at the end yes, of the film. Yes, two, because he's talking to someone. Yes, you see two. Uh, and I, just in stark contrast, I might say, to, you know, the next time they went to Iraq. But, um, uh, well, they were in Kuwait, but anyway. Because it, it reminds me of that elevator pitch that it would have been American Beauty. It reminds me of the elevator pitch of this particular film as well, because it's uh, it it doesn't read very well off the bat if you try to describe it to someone. But then you watch it, and it's all about the characters. It's all about like getting into the heads of everyone and and seeing them do things that I wouldn't I mean, say everyone. I'd say Swafford. I would say the main <laughs> yes, but but seeing what someone would do. Oh, well, I guess our lead would do in a situation, which uh, the best way to describe it to me is that it's a position that someone that you would 
never be willing to do if you got told, like, would you ever put a gun to someone's head and go to shoot them? You know, would you ever say the fucked up shit that he said? Would you ever, uh, you know, like fight the way that you would and hurt people? Would you ever choose to go to this environment? Would you like, how would you react in these circumstances? And you think to yourself, oh, I wouldn't like, if I just asked you those questions, you'd be like, well, of course I wouldn't, you know, put a gun to, you know, my own friendly's head and, and do something crazy like that. But it finds a way to bring you to that space. And you don't, I don't sit there and go, oh, what the fuck is this idiot doing? And the same thing I find through the American beauty films, even though the characters are kind of quite, you know, like, I guess they, they, clash with each other intentionally um but you never sit there and go no that doesn't make sense that doesn't work i would never do that like you go no these characters would this guy would if i was in that situation i might you know it's fucked up and it's crazy but i might be you know like i might have been swained into that way the the, <clears throat> the great thing about the context of warfare is that you doesn't matter if they're in it or in this case like they're not in it yeah um you're you're putting people in what is just a comp- the most unnatural situation in terms of how we've crafted our world. Yep. Which is weird because war is a constant. <clears throat> yeah. Um, there's... You, you throw people into this scenario that is so foreign and so backwards. It's not even just backwards. It's backwards, upside down, and twisted around and spinning. That you put people in this pressure cooker and then... Uh, <clears throat> in this pressure cooker, you don't give them anything to do. Um, yeah. You get them to do highly repetitive things. You get them to do all of these extremely necessary things so that they are prepared for X, Y, Z, and then X, Y, Z doesn't happen. Yeah. So it's it's really looking at, at, at that aspect. and Oh, yeah, totally. And the things I really love about it are, you know, they really they really successfully get you inside of um, Swafford's head. Uh, the, there's that ru- stuff that runs through the whole film of he doesn't know what his girlfriend's doing back home and yeah. uh, he uh, is jealous uh, and he's scared and he's lonely and all of these things that, you know, there's the phone call that he has with his girlfriend and she's saying, uh, hey, I went with your mum to go and visit your sister who we it's never said, but we learn that, you know, in that shot without it, we're saying you can't see visiting my sister. There's that shot. We learn that she's obviously in some kind of mental institution. Oh, yeah, that's right. Jeez. So, this, yeah. so the girlfriend is in a relationship with him that's enough for her without him to go with his mother to a, uh, to a mental hospital. To uh, visit a family To visit member. his sister. Yeah, yeah. And that is something that the situation he's in is so tense that he goes straight past that and thinking about what that means to her level of commitment and goes straight to the fact that, you know, she's become friends with a guy at work. Yeah. Um, and in the long term, he ends up being right. But does that happen because of his attitude towards his jealousy and all that type of stuff? Well, not even just that. I mean, we're looking at there's a wall inside of the, the camp in which they put their, like, unfaithful partners on. There is a whole, like, psych up. Like, whenever, like, he gets a letter, it's like, oh, no, here it is. This is the one. Fucking Jody. Yeah, that's right. You know, there's a culture there that, that like, enforces that. You know, could you imagine being, you know, imagine being lonely in back at home I don't want to suggest that she was in a perfect position and she shouldn't, that she should have done what she did. But imagine being alone at home. Imagine, like, regardless of how many years of a relationship you've been, you should be faithful and, and everything like that. But you can't be close with the person you're being close with. And the one chance you ever contact, 
all that comes up is, are you being unfaithful? Yeah. Because of that one sentence you wrote. Do you think that if she was being unfaithful at that time, that that's how she would have mentioned it? Like being like, hey, I met up with this guy and he's a good listener. It's like, uh, like, why would she say that? Like, probably because she met up with some guy and he's a good listener. Like, not because, you know. Yeah, I, that, I mean, it's a big leap, but I do think that that's what happens. I think that his jealousy is what pushes her away, yeah. which is spun on by this in this jealous insanity, which, by the way, is not incorrect. I was talking to Tim the other day about it. The split up rates of people in the military is like 60%. Shit. Um, well, I mean, it makes sense to a certain degree, but holy shit. Yeah. It makes sense for careers. It makes sense to me. But I mean, like, he what was- you mean in careers? Well, if you're constantly for like 20 years at home, not at home, at home, not at home, at yeah, home, yeah. not at home, you know, he's gone for like seven months. That's that's the equivalent oh, of like yeah, yeah. a long distance relationship while someone goes to study for a bit overseas. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, yeah. If you really bit, loved the partner, you'd let them do that, and you wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, it's when you watch the film, it's like you know there are guys getting dumped a hundred days in, and you just go, okay. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, not to say it's not a hardship on the people at home, but it, the thing that I find really cold about it is. Look where they are. Yeah. Like, look at the situation they're in. They could yeah. die tomorrow. Uh, maybe they, despite having literally signed up for it, do deserve some element of of uh, consideration consideration for doing that stuff. I'm not talking about because they're there serving their country and then I'm not talking about that stuff. Know. I'm just talking purely emotionally and psychologically about yeah. how someone is and. Which that. they bring up really well in the film. There's that moment where they he goes through. It's like, if you get hurt or if you get shot, you get put into this kind of, you got to sign this waiver if you get this. And if you die, then you got to put this waiver. But if you, you know, anything wrong with it. If you're it, going insane, there is no standard uh, standard solution. That's right. And then he repeats that. Yeah. No standard solution. And you're like, I mean, that in the same way that you're talking about the plot of the film and what it's all about, that's also what it's about to me. Like that whole film is about... The, the, the thing that I really... Yeah. Oh, it's totally about his stability and experience. And, and mental and, health. Yeah. yeah. That's... He... What, what's, what's great in that middle section of the film is what happens to him. He's hating it and hating it and hating it. And his uh, lack of... I don't want to say insanity because it doesn't go insane. He just... He wobbles on the, on the rails, you know. Yeah. You know, he almost kills someone. Oh, yeah. But uh, we'll get to that in a sec. But what happens to him is... The repetition of everything, you know, pull your weapon apart, put it back together, go and hydrate, go and do this, go and do that. His mind is all completely filled up with, you know, one plus one is two, one plus one is two, one plus one is two, yep. one plus one is two, because that's all the shit that they're being given. And then the rest of the time is here, watch these movies and think about the fact that, you you know, your partner's probably cheating on you and everyone's breeding that type of environment here, mm-hmm. that that's what they're talking about. So... I think he 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 ends up and descends into this incredible craziness, which culminates with that moment where he goes to Ferguson and um, uh, puts a gun to his head. And it's his, you know, he said, oh, I don't want to do my shift tonight. You do it for me. Uh, he shirks his responsibility. And through that, you know, Fergus does something dumb. But, yeah. but still, if you're signed up to do guard duty. That, that puts you there for a reason. Usually. Yeah. 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 No, it's not just that. It's you're assigned to it. Yeah. It's your job. That is your that's your orders. He had abandoned his post. So it doesn't matter that someone got replaced him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that he wouldn't have gotten in trouble if it was Fergus's night. Yeah, yeah. Uh but he would have gotten in trouble for the drinking and stuff though. Uh, cuz he was in in control of their squad. 
Uh, so oh, and right. that's when he gets. So he they think he's a corporal, and he gets put back down to private. Private, yeah, that's right. Um, I think he was a lieutenant corporal actually. Anyway, so yeah, he. Um, that's sort of the culmination or the moment where he he has that breakthrough the next day where uh, after threatening Fergus. Yeah. Uh, and he has that breakthrough when they're out in the desert and he apologizes um, as best he can. God, that moment gets me every single time I yeah, watch that film yeah. where he's just, he just goes, yeah. like, you can almost not hear it. Yeah. He's just yeah. crying. Uh, and then they realize that there's people coming towards them. Yep. And it just snaps them back and their training works and he does something brave slash stupid. Yep. Uh, I'm sure that they're probably most of the time indistinguishable. But he... Uh, and he's, he seems to be okay from that point. He seems to have his head screwed back on. He seems to, when he looks in the eyes of Ferguson and he sees what he has done to that person yeah. through his... Um, he, because after he does it, you know, he puts the gun up to his head and he's like, you know, do this or I'll shoot you. Like, he has a, a bullet in the chamber of the gun. It's loaded. He's about to shoot him. The safety's off. And then he gets Ferguson to hold the gun and tells him to shoot him. He's like, shoot me, shoot me, shoot me. Yeah. And then he has that, oh, my God, what am I doing moment. And then he goes and sits down away from him. And you can see in in, in that moment he doesn't recognize himself. Mm. He doesn't know what he's become. And he realizes that these are people who, despite all the bullshit and, and bravado, masculinity and testosterone, at the end of the day, these people care about you. Yeah. And... Um, look at what he's done to a person who cares about him and who he cares about back mm. and the way that they look at each other when they're out in the desert when he apologises and he sees what he's done to someone. And that links up to the humanity moment that he has with the the camel people, like, well, camel, <laughs> the camel people, the people with the camels, because that's all, that's all I know about them. Uh, I guess the locals with the camels, you know, where it could have been violence. It might be violence. or something, yeah. Might be, did you say penguins? Bedouins. I was going to say, I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Bedouins are nomadic Arabs who, um, uh, I don't know how you say this, but technically speaking, swear allegiance to the nation that they're in. So there are Iraqi Bedouins, Israeli Bedouins. Okay, um, cool. They're Bedouins all over the place, but their allegiance lies to the, because they just roamed for like hundreds of years, right? Yeah. So they could go anywhere. And then when it was like, no, there's countries now. Uh, in a way that's quite solid, you yeah. can't you can't just go back and forth. Yeah. So then they started swearing allegiance to wherever their tribes kind of ended up, and then they either stay still or they move. They set up. Um, they're often treated like shit by most of the countries they're in. But um, but anyway, I I think I don't know. They well, see, either way, like that, that moment that he has, like it's kind of like is it the whole platoon's there. He's the one that breaks three. Like you said, brave slash stupid reaction he has there. Which but he also took off. the time to learn some Arabic. That's right. That's the thing is he's This studied. is the humanity I'm talking about. Like this is, <clears throat> he's obviously intelligent. He's obviously been broken. Uh, he And he just prior, he has, he's had his moment where he's just like, you know, a complete breakdown and complete realization, uh, which, you know, a lot of people have in their lives. And then he, he starts he has a reaction to a situation which could have ended hostile, could have ended up being bad, and, like, you know, may as well have, considering the language barrier. He takes a risk, the risk pays off, and then he gets to see the effects of them in this country. So, like, um, when he's back on the, the, the truck, 
And the dude's like admits to shooting. Yeah, the I'm the one that shot the camels. Yeah, yeah. And he's disgusted by it. Exactly, and I think that's a really, like you describe, it's kind of a turning point for the character uh, in the film, and uh, and I think he, really he starts to he starts to inhibit what a soldier should be like. That yes. it should be about doing the right thing. It should be about um, p- p- it should it should yeah should be about doing the right thing basically yeah, that's it should right. be about honor honor uh, serving the uh, nation yeah. and protecting people yeah not just shooting people and, and that civilians mean something yeah uh, absolutely yeah and i think that you know um yeah it's after that they they see you know when they go to the highway and they yeah. amazingly recreate those famous photos and bits of footage yeah can i say props to this freaking like art department uh, production design is unbelievable, Just phenomenal. Like yeah. the, the like all those little details, and the fact that you could do a close up, or like you know, like they did a shot where one person comes up from behind one of the burnt burnt bodies, like the and the burnt bodies in the like front foreground, and you could be stacked close and still get a like a really beautiful and detailed shot. It's just like, oh man, it's uh yeah, that scene is. Because that, that, the things that are really iconic from those war from that war is basically Americans in the desert yep. doing seemingly nothing. Yes. Uh, burned out highways and burning oil stacks. And the way that they put you in those situations yeah. is, is really amazingly done. He, the way he walks through that highway and... You know, when Peter Sarsgaard's character gets on that school bus and the only thing that's... And it's so well done that you... You know, the camera is sort of about halfway down the bus or... Yeah, yeah. And he gets onto the bus and all you see is the back of, like, a young girl's head. Sort of like a small person. You know, you can just deduce the fact that it's a schoolgirl. Yeah. Uh, and he's obviously looking at her face and then he just gets straight off the bus. And uh, then when Swafford goes and sits down with the dead people, he's like, it's been a hell of a day, huh? Yeah. And and it's... He's he's saying something... It's... The, it, Jake Gyllenhaal is just so outrageously talented. He, oh, my God, yeah. The way that he can balance that thing of delivering that line, if he was saying it to other people, it would be a joke. And it's just a completely honest statement. Like, yeah, yeah. him coming and experiencing this is a hell of a day. And obviously, they got bombed and burned alive yeah. uh, instantaneously where they were sitting. Um, He's a chameleon, Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, I know. Chameleon's the wrong choice of words because the guy from The Dark Knight who plays the the chief commissioner, is it Gary Oldman? Yeah. He's a chameleon. Holy wow. But Jake Gyllenhaal is, is such a versatile actor that you just believe. I don't think I've seen a movie where I've gone... That's Jake Gyllenhaal, like in the sense of like I am probably I, the closer we would be like day after tomorrow because that character is just kind of a a nothing a character. young guy. Yeah, yeah. Generic. But he played, but he plays that. He played it really fucking. You believed everything that was in in that every scene he was in. It was really really good. Yeah. But yeah, he. Um, I think I'm just thinking. I think that the girl that's in that movie is Rooney Mara. Um. Anyway, so the I can look that up by the way. What was I thinking? We're talking about that scene where Jake Gyllenhaal gets into the and sits. Down. Oh yeah, yeah. So I think those the ways that they put you in those iconic scenes and the bizarre, 
the number of bizarre things that happen in the film or weird, even just weird moments, like with the guys with the camels. Yep. They seem to me to just be weird things that you can't explain if you haven't been in warfare. You go, and then I was dragging this dead guy's body out away from our, you know, camp, and then there was a horse. Yeah. And it just... Because every time, anywhere where there's war, it's like there's a whirlwind of human-created madness. Yeah. And within that hurricane of madness... uh, Everything has to respond. Nature has to respond, and yeah. civilians have to. Respond. Every, Can I just say that you know, I never felt like it was uh, like it all made sense. It never felt completely out of place. The only moment that did is when he puked in the sink and then he was puking sand, and obviously that turns out to be. Oh green. yeah, it seems. Other than that, everything is love like, that moment. Yeah, right. Love that moment. Throws you it totally, throws you out of whack, especially when you see that. And that, that's, that? I think it's Red Hot Chili Peppers is playing under the bridge. I think. Is what's being played. Well, I, it, just like I was telling before, that um, it kind of totally reminds. I was like, Sam Mendes, he wouldn't do this kind of thing. And then I was like, Oh wait, American Beauty. Yes, he literally did the, <laughs> almost the same thing in a different context. Uh, not that he's copying himself, but it's like, yeah, of course he kind of he'll go anywhere as long as it tells the story. Um, but but throughout the whole film, I was I was with it. Like that horse that appears, it wasn't like that's weird. It's just like no, that made sense. Like once, like I nah, didn't odd about it. It is weird. I think it is weird, but it's like it's just you because it? the situation it they're in is so insane. Yeah, that that okay, yeah, sure. See, that's they, kind they, of my they, point. they lit one of the largest oil fields on the planet on fire, and it was raining oil on them. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. A horse is just gonna walk up to me and say hello. It's well, that's kind of, that's what's kind of what I mean by it. It's like it it is it's totally weird. It's totally off kilter. Attention but to it's detail, weird. by the way. I think that's an Arabic horse. I'm pretty oh, really? sure. Yeah, they have a sort of a longer back. It just, I was literally, the moment you started talking about the horse and being the attention to detail, it made me think of Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> I was just like, okay. We're not going there. Not going there, no. Not yet. Uh, look it up, people. Um, well, that's, yeah. So, it's, when I was experiencing those moments, of course it's weird. Of course it's odd. You know, like, because it's a weird, any kind of those situations like that, it's weird, like being rained in oil and like and all that but I still never felt like it didn't make it. Just it just worked for the film. It it I was I was believing it. Yeah. I believed it. It all. falls under the category of well, that makes sense. Yeah, like right? everything else is so fucked, comma. So that makes sense. Yeah, that's right. And the, the great job of doing getting us into that zone, I think. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I think that the um what the way that the film was man, there's so much more CGI in that film than I remembered. Yeah. Um, still well placed though. Oh, it looks amazing. Yeah, it, yeah. it absolutely stands up. But it's yeah. it's so incredible how they've the desert extensions and the all that stuff. You know, when we watched the trailer before we started having this chat, um, looked nothing like it. Like yeah. the horizons had been totally changed, and the skies and the color grade was totally different. Can I just make a really funny? I like this is. I think it's funny. I wonder if the the same CGI guy who did. Uh, Jarhead with the scorpion fight also did the scorpion in Skyfall. Uh, Just saying, man. It's possible. I mean, it probably would have been the sound. I don't know. ILM did all that, so I don't know. Uh, Anyway, I just think it would be hilarious if it was literally the same guy. Sam Mendes back with his scorpion. Yeah, Same scorpion. Sorry, was there a scorpion in American Beauty? Like, did we just miss it? Is that his thing? (laughs) You know, scorpion in every film. Anyway, sorry. You've seen Road to Perdition, right? I have. That was good. Great film. That, That, once again... A film that 
I remember, like, I remember the word isn't being, the word isn't lackluster. The word is like, it just doesn't try to just like throw something in your face. It just lulls you into this position of an interesting perspective on something. And it doesn't just simplify the perspective. It's the drama of being in the mob, not the action of being in the mob. That's right. And it's such a good film. Like, I love that movie. That's a movie we should do as well. I'm going to write that shit down. Um, So good. But yeah, he, um, yeah, just on cinematography, it's just Roger Deakins as usual. Who's Roger Deakins? I've never heard of him. Yeah, he's- Roger? Is it Roger Roger, or Robber? Roger. 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 As in uh, Roger, Roger, as spoken by that uh, droid in Star Wars Episode One. Um, It's not Janusz Kaminski, because I know he did that really good film, Vanilla Ice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah anyway he, he um no isn't it cool as ice oh yeah you're probably right it's not called vanilla ice yeah that's true it just, just features him god that movie was terrible um yeah so i think really jarhead you're talking about the cinematography how roger deakins it's quite it's quite interesting yeah with with what he did it's quite interesting to see how different what he shot is to what ends up in the film in a number of the shots like if you go through the trailer one of the first shots of showing them out in the um oily fire yep. uh you can clearly see the guy who's standing guard you can clearly see the background it's totally silhouetted in the final film and that was one of the things that I wondered how they did it. It looks like they got some shots in that sort of darkness, but it, from that shot that's in the trailer to what we see in the film, completely different. Yeah. And not like different setups. It's the exact same shot. It's just graded and CG totally different. T- totally differently. Uh, it, I, I wonder if... Because I'm... Yeah, they shot on film. I wonder if when they shot this, they just couldn't get those shots. And so they shot them at a higher exposure, and then and then did the day for night or whatever. Down. Like, well, it didn't look like quite a- look like day, but it probably would have been, yeah, probably overcast or something. But yeah, it, it's interesting. I'd love. I, I want to go through the trailer at some point and just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Do a trailer um, comparison to movie. Yeah, I mean, there's a few shots in the trailer that aren't in the film. Like, there's a shot of Swafford actually at the funeral uh, for. Peter Sarsgaard's character. That's so terrible. I can't remember his name. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's out exercising. So it just doesn't, just looks like stuff that got cut because it was, why is this there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, the the stuff, the other stuff that I'm talking about is shots that are in the film that do not look anything like how they do in the film. In fact, I think when they get out of the planes at the airport, yeah. in the film, they're all TWA flights. Um, oh. And in the trailer, I think there's only two planes and they're not, they don't have logos on them. Yeah, no, I think you might be right. I remember noticing that, and as well as, like, the colour is completely different. I think they're silver because they were preparing for them to be American Airlines, maybe. Um, but it looks... Whoever like paid the, the branding. No, uh, well, I imagine it was actually just for them to get approval for TWA Yeah. to put it there. Because I don't remember when TWA collapsed. I think they were still around in t- 2005. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, there's always going to be differences between you know, the sh- like the final output of the film and then, you know, and the trailers and stuff like that and and filming it, like, on the day. Uh, but it is... I actually, like, I think I said right at the beginning of the film, it's like, this doesn't... This doesn't straight off feel like a Roger Deakins look. 
I mean, you might think otherwise, but I also know that he he does come from a documentary background. And so in my head, it's almost like this is probably more like what he's done before than we think. <sighs> to me, it does, because I think a lot of his later stuff tends to get sort of attributed as this is his style. Uh, whereas yep. he's a bit of a mix. I mean, that, totally. that isn't very far off from how they shot uh, There Will Be Blood. Um, okay. There's a lot of... Ha- no, I haven't. No, we need to see yeah, that. It, it, but that, was it handheld? I thought There Will Be Blood was very static, like dollies and... Uh, it is, but when they use handheld, it's like, that's what it looks like. Yeah, because you know, this very- was really handheld. But one telltale, which I, which I remember when you compare this to Prisoners, for example, is that... It seems, I mean, whether this is uh, Roger Deakins' choice or whether this is uh, director's choice, whatever the, the, the answer is, is that it always seems like he doesn't overshoot. All the information tends to be in one or two shots. Yeah. There's so many scenes in that film which has mul- like many lines of dialogue where it's a, like a tight shot on, a, on, a, on one of the characters that doesn't say any lines until right at the end, and then... All the dialogue that is stuff that we want to hear is going on slightly out of focus in the background, like shit like that. Yeah, I mean, two two of my favorite examples of how you know Roger Deakin, Deakins and Mendez in this film use um, just standard filmmaking. Yeah, is um, well, not standard. You use <laughs> what should be standard, uh, using the shots to communicate emotion or emotional perspective. Yep. So when he gets asked to come and bugle, there's always tight shots when the um that that scene is shot like a comedy. You know, yeah, it's yeah. quite funny. Um, you know, he's the in the foreground you have Swafford's head taking up half the frame from behind. And then the staff sergeant is like, and this is a really big, like, thing for us. He's going to come and do Reveille today. And he walks off camera. And then, like, a second later, he comes in <laughs> and uh, takes up the rest of the frame yeah, with his yeah. whole head. And he's like, where's your bugle? Or whatever he says. Yeah, they yeah. have the discussion about it. But when he starts bugling with his mouth, it goes from a tight shot and it goes from shots that have the staff sergeant in it close to him and it from shots that have the rest of the uh, the unit with him. And it goes to this wide shot and he's just isolated with no one else near him when the staff sergeant off to the far right of frame. I think he's even off frame a little bit, but far right of frame. And he's just looking like a dick. And it's this thing of he feels completely alone in this moment. He's embarrassed, totally embarrassed. And they go, oh, what should we do? Oh, we should throw him in a wide shot so he looks totally on his own. Well, they did a great job with that because that in, in itself is a little bit of a transition. He's got an escape out. He goes to take it. And like you said, it's this funny moment. It's this close up. But it goes from, I don't know, laughing at him to feeling really uncomfortable being in his head. Oh, totally. That's how I felt when I watched Yeah, of that. course. But he still looks like a dick and it's funny. Yeah, but, yeah. But, so the other moment for me that's really amazing is when... And Roger Deaconery? Is that what you're... No, not what as you're... A, no just, just good filmmaking, I guess. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Is um, when he gets mail from his girlfriend and he walks outside the tent and the other guy in his unit oh, gets the so photo cool. of his newborn baby at yep. home. And so he's sitting outside the tent in the dark reading this letter that says, I've just made a new friend and his name is blah, blah, blah. Which we're not even hearing, by the way. We don't even know, but we know on his face that he doesn't like what he's reading. Yeah. uh, And he's upset. And it's actually, you know, the the flap of the tent is this nice diagonal that cuts the frame in half. 
and in the other half of the frame is inside this immense joy and beautiful moment of yeah. something uh, about love. Yeah, the yeah. opposite end of it. Uh, you know, the, the 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 greatness of it and he's experiencing the, the, the jealousy and the paranoia and and uh, the the harm of what he thinks is happening. And those are the two moments to me that just really smash you over the head with going, here is some filmmaking for you. And can I also say that that moment there that you're talking about, I love that he's in focus, if it's if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's uh, in focus. And they're out all of the focus. All the audio and all the conversation is out of focus. That's And that, like, you hear what they're saying. It's like, that's where the audio is focused in the sense like that's where the the, the sound source because is because it's that it's the other people's experience of love that is contrasting yeah the whole shot is about contrast right and you can't not have the sound be a part of that no and you can imagine that while he's reading this it's despite the fact that he's probably in his own um like world and he's probably sucked into this letter he's probably also hearing that moment you know he's probably also experiencing it to a certain degree this kind of like immense love and family and happiness and because of his experience he's not taking part in it yeah 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 he can't he can't he feels the way he feels he can't it's one it's one of the most it's one of the best shots in the film it's so fucking good there's so many and there's this like if we were to talk about tells tale signs of Roger Deakins, it would be that he seems invisible, and then you start breaking down certain scenes, and you go, "Oh, that's how that's what he did, and that's because he's a, an amazing, you know." Deacon. Try not to get in the way. Yeah, and even in those, I love the way that they um, overcrank the uh, when the mortar shells are going off, and yep. he just freezes and stands. Yeah, there, yeah, and it go. It's in normal speed, and then it just goes overcranks like you know yeah. they quadruple the fps and it goes into slow motion and he's just it's a type of shot that could totally be a wank shot yeah that whole sequence could be a wank shot but it's all about swafford and being inside his head yeah, and yeah. that's all that it, it doesn't do anything else you know it's glorious incredibly beautiful shots but it's about how he loses control of understanding the danger that he's in yeah and yet his body doesn't yeah. You know, straight afterwards. Hey, what 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 happened? He's like, I pissed myself. Yeah, yeah. It, although I think the closest thing to uh showreel material is that um is when we finally got to the oil fields that are lit up. The the he would have just loved playing with oh, that. Yeah. I'm sorry, but like like highlights in darkness. I think he has a thing for it. I'm sure it would have been like like if we break it down, we'll probably be able to read really deeply into that. But it's just <laughs> looked so good. There's there's moments in most well most Roger Deakin films that I can remember which have that similar kind of a there couple will be of moments. Blood, for instance. I didn't realize. Ah, oh, you keep telling me that it's Deakins, and I keep forgetting. So fucking good. Yeah, I'm so totally. Man, it's funny because I was at the beginning of this. This is one of the things I love about doing the podcast is at the beginning of this, I had like a a real, um, the way that my brain works is that I kind of need to like, I need to brainstorm my way out of an idea because I can sometimes see things a little bit simply. And so I love when these kind of moments happen when I go, yeah, this doesn't look like Roger Deakins. And then we suddenly talk about it. And then by the end of it, I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And this is like that movie. It's like, I just love that moment. Like, Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, his trademark is, is pure uh, script focus. Yeah. Is that nothing is wasted. No. And uh, as we were saying with Prisoners yeah. a while back, um, you should really watch There Will Be Blood because that film is such Terrible. a good show, <laughs> such a good showcase of how do you make a film that goes for like two hours and 45 minutes 
that has this epic story, mm. um, this epic battle between these two characters. Yeah. Um, and do it with as few shots as possible. Not that that's what they set out to do. No, I know. But when you look at it, you just go, it's, not it's few- so decisive. It's so decisive. Well, that's kind of what I was about to say. It's, it's not, I wouldn't suggest that, like, the way that he shoots is to, to aim to have as few shots as possible. It's to aim to have as just as many shots as you need to tell the story yeah, right. Exactly. You know? And, and that's the thing is, what do you need? You know? Yeah. I often... I mean, that's the thing for me. I often panic about coverage, coverage and under yeah, coverage yeah. and stuff like that. And, you know. But I mean, like, I I'd say more often than not now, under coverage is more my worry because I try to be as decisive as possible, you know, like um, yeah. uh, st- staying the night that we did last year, that there's that shot, you know, um, the character comes over the fence and then we go through. It took a million years to do because of the way the dolly was yeah. moving. But that was the way that I wanted that shot done. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was it, full stop. And it's that thing of it could have been like three or four setups. Oh, yeah, totally. But I really strongly felt that it shouldn't be. I felt that it should be one could have been a total mistake and uh, you know that's not really f- but why spend you could either spend four hours or whatever maybe like i don't know about these films that maybe they take days uh, to do each shot but you could either spend four hours or so on one shot that tells everything or you do five or six shots that try to get you there and give you options yeah i guess it just has to be that thing of you know on the set when we were having difficulties with the shot and then at one point i don't remember who it was but someone brought up look maybe we could do it this way instead and i was and i said but that's two shots Mm. and you have to have that thing going off in your head of going uh am i trying to get this one shot because i want it to be one shot because i want to be well we got it in one shot yeah uh or do i think it's the right thing to do and i couldn't get past the fact that it felt to me like the right thing to do we're having this conversation today actually about uh, because i mean i'm working on a, a, a micro budget feature and we're talking about like where i choose to sacrifice uh, you know, audio and, and get posts to do work uh, when they need to in the sense of like Foley work. And so the dialogue's still clean and how for me, like I love, as you know, I love the human voice. That's kind of where, why I do sound recording is one of my favorite. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Don't stop talking. Um, I love it so much, but I'm all, and I, I know that you are as well. I'm all about the project. If regardless of what it is, I'm there to to serve the the quality and the project of the film, and not to hinder it. So if we need to do it a particular way, then we do it a particular way. Someone makes a call on that, and I give my professional opinion. But I value that so much that I it's actually probably calmed me down as a recorder. Because I remember when I was starting out, I was very like, "Oh my god, it needs to sound right. It needs to work well. It's got to be right." And now I'm like, "No, we're getting it. It's fine. We've got it. This is this is this is okay." And this is that, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that you can't. For example, give you an example. You know, you can't always go. Well, no we need to get a version of this with a close-up or a two-shot because I need the boom in. If that shot, for emotional purposes, has to be a wide shot, that's it. Yeah. Can I tell you a moment in this film that I that I felt that exact feeling and I liked it? Uh, I was going to say Jamie Lee Fox again. Jamie Fox. Oh, when Swafford... I think I know. When Swafford's on the toilet... That's and right. And his perspective, you can see the ceiling. Yeah, and ignoring the shot and where the boom, but it's it's boomed. Like, they probably were wearing bugs or something, but they... I don't think if they did use it, they used it very subtly. 
it's the moment where um, he uh, Jamie Foxx's character walks off with the book and he and he turns and he says something and then he walks back and the, the audio perspective is wide, 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 wide. And then he gets close and then you hear it close. So the boom must have been, you know, in that perspective. And I remember talking to a few sound recorders um, and actually listening to, to stuff about sound recording and something that I personally believe in myself is that I think that the space you're in, the environment you're in, the way that people work in that space tells a story. Oh, totally. You shouldn't deny the environment. That's correct. Un- unless you have reason to. That's exactly right. Which is and a Fincher thing, right? Like, feature, uh, you finish it Oh, well, exam. so my point being is that, like, you, it obviously you'd probably leave a mic on them just in case they have the option to do so. But as a recordist, I, I want the, I, I will make decisions like that if I think that that's appropriate for what the picture yeah. is, is giving me and what the scene requires. Unless, for example, that was let's just, like let's just say that was a toilet scene, which it was. It was in a bathroom, and it sounded like it was in an airport. Then I'd be like, okay, well, I'm gonna go for close mics. I'm gonna try to get it as clean as possible so they can make it sound like a toilet. If it makes sense, it looks right, it sounds right, and I can understand clearly the dialogue that is need to be spoken. Because obviously there are scenes where you don't need to know what the person said. Then I will I will go for it because I love telling stories with microphone placement. And that scene reminds me of the balls that uh, post sound and location sound recorders had for a moment like that, which just adds to the scene. And obviously something that like rings in my ears because I spot it. I'm like, oh, anyway. Yes. No, it makes sense. And yeah. And as I was saying, if unless you need it to not be like in Gone Girl, they're in this freight elevator and yeah. it's there and it's an intimate moment and it's very clearly purified. It's ADR yeah, or, and yeah. you can barely hear any of the ambience. But the point is, it's because they're so uh, attracted to each other that everything else, they don't give a shit. Everything else has fallen away and emotionally for them, the focus is each other. Yeah. And in that circumstance, you go, I don't want to hear the fucking elevator. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, I don't want to hear this industrial, extremely loud wooden thing and to take it even more simply there's that moment where um jake gyllenhaal's character is standing and like slow motion everything's blown up and you yeah, hear nothing no, except for the sand the sand yeah and that's all he hears yeah yeah even if he doesn't because it would have been so he feels loud. it it's the feeling yeah there we go because that makes sense yeah i i think that, you yeah, think good to know sam, sam mendez he makes an all right film yeah he does all right but the thing is, it's it's it it is. They, he makes great movies, in my opinion. Even when he did um, uh, James Bond, I loved it. That was my favorite James Bond. He did Skyfall. Uh, I loved he did the next one too. Did he? oh, he did, didn't he? I loved Skyfall a lot. I can't. I remember enjoying the the last James Bond film, but I can't remember in my head. I can't remember. It was just. Like, it was kind of just. Um, let's go back to old. Yeah, yeah, James it was. Bond. I thought it was fun. I thought it was really fun. I think I, I remember having that same feeling. It was just a bit of silly fun. But that's, but, I mean, the, having it be a franchise is such a different thing to, you know, I haven't seen, um, uh, I can't remember, the you know, the film he made with Kate Winslet just before they broke up. Um, well, was he going out with Kate Winslet? Is that what you're saying? They were married. Really? Yeah, uh, for like 10, Sam Mendes and... Kate Winslet. Is it? Okay, I didn't know that. I was just... Uh, so they made a film together about a about a you know a, a marriage breaking down i think it's oh like, really it's going to be terribly depressing and go for like three hours uh i've never seen it though um you should watch it. it sounds so depressing but yeah it's uh leonardo DiCaprio and kate winslet so i haven't seen that one but um titanic 2 no. <laughs> i'm sure no one made that joke at never time. i never make jokes that other people do 
Uh, but yeah, I think they, they broke up like shortly after that, as far as yeah. I remember. But uh, I think that's the only one I haven't seen. But yeah, he Rhodes Expedition, Jarhead, Skyfall, um, love him. Yeah, I mean, he obviously has talent, and he also, in the same way that I, in my opinion, the same way uh, Roger Deakins is all about the story and the, the project. Uh, I think that Sam Mendes is also. He's like he takes the essence oh, yeah. of the project and he you, goes. You don't, yeah, you don't do to American Beauty what he did. If that's not your attitude, if that's not your attitude, I mean, look at that scene from. Uh, did Roger Deakins do the Skyfall? Yep. Okay, there's that scene where one of my favorite moments in cinema history, uh, in that James Bond film, which is you know you think James Bond right, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. I assume is when um I don't know the actor's name, but it's the the bad guy in Skyfall. Comes Javier Bardem. There you go. He's coming <laughs> no, down to the elevator. Did in a weird accent. Yeah, in the in the wide. And it's a super wide, and he just talks his whole way in. I mean that that must have been a blend of a bug and a boom. Um, but I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, but it, they and he lets it breathe all the way, and that would have taken ages because of timing and because of like the shots, and that each shot would have taken five minutes uh, at least. It's funny if you ask them and they go, no, second take, Probably. first take. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> the level of professionalism you've, you're dealing with there is and pretty high. Like, even if it took 50 takes, fucking amazing. Yeah. Like, I respect great. I respect the kahunis on, on directors and DOPs. Not to suggest that every director or DOP has to do that. I don't, not to that, I don't respect you if you choose to cover that in more shots. And But I, I love that. I enjoy moments like that so much because it's just... It's it's so how do I describe it? It's so ballsy yet not being egotistical. It's not like oh look what I can do, Ooh, I'm amazing. It's it tells a story well, it enhances it, oh, and it's brilliant. It's important, you know. He starts in, he's in that elevator, and it's like you can't see his face no, and stuff, no. and he's far. And that, and that's that thing. It's who is this person that's causing this chaos? Yeah. And it's this gradual, oh, that's who it is. And it's not, it's a double layer, that's who it is, because he's explaining to him his point of view. Yes. So we know who he is uh, philosophically, and uh, we then know who he is visually, because we yeah. see what he looks like. That's right. Um, th- that's that's why, you know, if you're directing that, you go, but it has to be like that. Yeah. Not that it has to be, like you said, there's a thousand ways to cover anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, they pick that way, because they said, well, these are the two things that are happening in that bit, the, two, the things that are being revealed to james bond and we think this will be the most effective way of telling that story it, yeah it, not uh this would be the coolest way or this is like the nicest way or no, whatever it just it's, works out that it's cool <laughs> yeah that's right yeah but it but i think that the conversation would have been this is the most effective yeah oh, I, totally. their opinion obviously there's like we said there's a thousand ways to cover it but i think that that's what they would have said and they both would have been yeah yeah let's do it this is gonna be tough or this is gonna be super easy because we have amazing actors um yeah so i and i think that certainly that comes through in all of their work together and that's why i think they're a great combo you see that and it's it, nothing's wasted the only shot that's not that uh, sam mendes directed it but the only shot that i remember roger deacons that we still haven't figured out is that tree shot in prisoners it's like Whoa. i mean i'm sure it i'm sure it makes sense but that's the only shot i, can I think still of. think that it's that you your the calm before the storm kind of thing i think that's what we we're talking about before the the idea of the normality of the place yeah 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 that's it to me of that um there's something the the looking in this frame for something of uh why am i looking at this what's happening you're 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 being 
uh, I guess you're being coerced into being super su- suspicious start, in the frame. You start to think of the idea that despite the fact that this whole setup is ideal, it's all yeah. it's a nice suburb and all that type of stuff, that there's something lurking somewhere. Yeah. That you're missing something, and that thing that is missing is real and sinister. Yeah. That's what I think that shot's about. Yeah, and you can only do that if you're if you do that once, if you know what I mean. Like if you spend the whole oh, film yeah. doing that, people will be like, okay, you're just shooting trees at this point. But because you have that one moment, you know, by contrast, it's like what? Do you have a problem with Peter Jackson shooting trees. Well, you know, if they're alive and they talk, then that's fine. <laughs> um, then that you're allowed to do that. I think. Um, yeah, every... You know, there's that bit in... Uh, I think it, it's in Fellowship of the Ring where they're, you know, they're pulling all the trees out of the ground and they're getting ready to build all of their war machines and make the Urukai. Yeah. Uh, it's all the same tree. Yeah. Is that- they shot it from, like, 12 different angles. Oh, really? Just kept pulling it over and over and over again. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> um, oh, the tree in Jurassic Park? The one that the car falls into and the one that they sleep in? Yes. Same tree. Josh's facts. Did it, did it, I can did tell you about it. all the trees in films. <laughs> <laughs> That's like your one superpower. You just know about all of it. I love it. Um, can I... Another moment I'd love to draw, draw to, which I really loved, because there are subtle reasons why I really enjoyed it. It's... And I know that you loved it. And this is, by the way... Uh, oh, man. The, the podcast hasn't come out yet. It'll probably come out before this one does. Uh, we make reference to the whistle. And this is why we're... Um, which whistle? Oh, that. I thought you meant the prisoner's whistle, and I'm like, what? No, 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 because I was doing that. Yep. And then you actually make reference to it in the in the podcast and say, like... I think you were playing it in your van when you pulled up. Maybe, yeah. And I was like, oh, we should watch Jarhead. And you're like, why? Exactly, which spurred me on to write about Jarhead. Don't worry, be happy. But there's, like, obviously, the let's just skip over the obvious, which is, you know, like, the contrast between... Or not the contrast, but the, like, the feeling of... Of, the, of Jake Gyllenhaal's character uh, through that moment and then how it slowly becomes distorted as we get to that point in the film, which is right at the beginning, where he goes, and I don't want to be here anymore. Uh, and what I will say is, other than the, the beautiful editing, like, cutting points and the, the great juxtaposition with the music and, and how it all kind of deteriorates, I love the... And I could be wrong about this, but post-sound seemed to have... As it got more and more kind of messed up, when it started to ramp up with the, you know, the drill sergeant, the so did the volume of the thing. The, in the mix, the music started the music getting more intense. music starts after the drill sergeant. Okay, whatever, there's a moment... Oh, man, they might be... When he's getting... Um, when they're going to brand him. The music stops, um, it stops uh, it when sto- he gets branded and wakes up. All right. Have I missed it? When does it start? At the beginning of the brand? When his head gets slammed into the... Oh, uh, okay. The, um, All right, well, I'll take it from the beginning. Cause I'm pretty sure. You could be right, but just in case... Now, nah, fuck it, I'll take it from that point, because I know that, that I know the point you're talking about. Maybe uh, it starts again. Let's... Well, okay. <laughs> so, one of the points I really liked in the film was the the thing, you know, obviously, the, the tune that we are singing to, and for the not-so-obvious reason, because I remember in the, in, the, in the scene, let's just... It's either... It either starts around the drill sergeant scene and stops at the... Or starts or stops at the end of that, but I know that it goes through the scene where he gets pinned down and he's yeah. going to get branded. Um, but the way that the, as the chaos brews, the the intensity of the song comes up. Not just the not just the volume in the mix, but the intensity and the way it it starts to just like it doesn't. It's like if you keep introducing sounds into a spectrum. Uh, let's get super geeky here. It becomes as long as you don't use the same parts of the audio spectrum, you can actually create a lot of chaos before it starts to peak and 
become just noise essentially or like or you know like distortion uh and if you fill that up correctly which is what it sounded like they did but only as it got more and more intense it creates this like so much is going on like an overwhelming feeling of like of of uh of audio experience uh so an overwhelming feeling of like like an audio experience i guess i just said the same thing um and oh, sorry this is i'm just telling myself 30 minutes so an audio overwhelming feeling in that moment um which obviously correlates with what's happening on screen. Cause it starts off with like, he comes in, he's seeing that thing, the music's playing. And then as they realize that it's like the, the, the attention turns to him for this whole branding thing, it's the music starts yeah, to ramp up, up, but not quickly. It's like, you don't notice it until he's already punched the first guy and they're holding him down. They're about to pin him onto that bed. And then suddenly it's like, it's the music is just like, it's so intense and so chaotic and you can hear really clearly what those guys are doing in that scene the sound of them as well as the clarity of the music and i think that was an amazing audio moment for me i'm not sure what you feel about that no i love it yeah i'm gonna have to cut the shit out of that that was terribly done um so, is that all you have to say it's just, that's uh, good yeah. stuff no I, I mean that stuff is great uh, yeah i think i'm you, you feel like you're burnt out on the what we're talking about? I think, yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say that's not like. This is I, a good movie. I, I, because I don't, I don't, I'm, there's sort of that political stuff at the end, um, which is fair considering the film came out two years after they, you know, the Iraq. Do you mean the way the guy jumps to the bus? No, that's really hammering home the experience of what happens to you if you've gone through war. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, yeah. No, before that, when they're. T- there's oh, two I mean, characters when they're taking off their uniforms and they're throwing them into the fire. It was a big deal in terms of public public relations. That was the first modern camouflage uh, that the United States had really shown um, and oh, certainly really? the first they ever put into warfare. And is that bad because other countries can see it and it's... No, it was this idea of they'd always had green because because where you fight dictates what your camouflage is, right? So it says something about what your country's interests are, what the camouflage is and where you're going. Yep. And so they're going to the desert because of oil and, well, you know, to free the Kuwaitis that they fucked, oh, yeah. fucked over when they left. But um, the, the one character ta- is taking off his desert camos and he says, we're never, we're never going to need this again and throws him into the fire. And then another one takes him uh. off and, and says, we're never going to come back to this shithole and throws him in the fire. And this film comes out two years after they just invaded Iraq. Like that. Oh yeah, I didn't see that. That's, that makes so much sense. Um, and I remember seeing it at the cinema and it was, now it feels a tiny bit more on the nose, but at the time at the cinema, it was like, fuck, yeah, what? What is two years in? We knew that it was a fucking disaster. Oh yeah. Um, but it was yeah. You know, aside from that, all the kind of other stuffs like you know the fucked up guy that does all the messy shit and all that kind of stuff. That's. I don't think it really needs to be talked about. No, it but, is something to be experienced. Um, yeah, I just I think that it is such a tight film. It reminds me so much of Road to Perdition in terms of being this incredibly tight very well-made film uh, that, for some reason, doesn't seem to have captured this classic film thing that, you know, say, American Beauty has. Um, I think I think both of those films are way better than American Beauty, but that's just me. Road to Perdition in particular. But 
I think that it gets a bit frustrating that Jarhead is... Uh, it's not really a talked about film. I well, what do you think it made in the box office? How much do you think it costs? Because I looked this up before. How much do you think? What's your opinion? Uh, $55 million. And what do you think it did in the box? 60 70 Um, you, your, your averages are right. It's the budget of $72 million, Right. Uh, and it made $96 million. 96.9 million in the box office which as you describe it's it's sad to think that this film didn't have That's that a healthy film. profit though but yeah oh no it still is but like you like it's a great movie and it tells a lot of really um, like a great story i mean i'd be totally curious to look up what um the, the difference is in american beauty and that's once again the only reason why there's boobs in american beauty Pat. yeah and i guess it also tells a story about um you know, I just think at, at a very cynical level, I'm thinking like one's a war film that has no war sequences <laughs> and the other one's a drama where some people get their kid off. Uh, just from that fact alone, I feel like people are shallow enough to <laughs> make a decision based on that. True. No, I, I, I actually don't disagree with you there, unfortunately. Like, it's the sad, sad reality. What have you got here? Oh, holy bejesus. Yeah, man. <laughs> Okay. Okay. First of all, if I'm not mistaken, okay, the running time of Jarhead is 123 minutes. The running time of um, American Beauty, drumroll please, 122 minutes. I'll see. That will make a difference in your box office. (laughs) Yeah. Could you imagine? Like, I wonder if there was any. Like, I wonder if they got to the end of the edit and went, "Hey, how long's the runtime? 122. Are you kidding me? That is so close. Um. Yeah. And obviously, like. Uh, I mean, do you want to try guess it? No. No. 15 million to make American Beauty, which kind of makes sense for its time. Um, $356.3 million in the box office. Holy but Jesus. It's an insane amount. Of that isn't Like, obviously, there are reasons why that happened. And it's the time. It's the. It's a lot more. It has a much more mass appeal. Uh, and you can sell tickets, like you said, with nudity. Uh, so it's... I'm just being cynical, by the way. Totally. I wouldn't have a clue, but I just feel a like... Marketing expert, subject you know. matter-wise, people... <laughs> you know, I, I feel like Jarhead's the type of film that you can't you can't sell that. That's the type of film that today would be... Um, let's distribute that on Netflix, because people, de- people would watch it on there. But to be honest, I also think that, like, it's the kind of film that you want to watch if you're interested in the psychology of warfare. You know, like, you don't go into the movie going is this i i don't really care and then you watch it and go oh i came up with some new information you go searching for it because you go oh this is a good story about i'll never stop being thankful for the fact that the marketing tricked me yeah yeah. that is a important moment in my life as particularly as an audience member but in terms of like perspective on these things um and as shitty as it is, uh, you know, when we made that in our time thing, that this film very Genius, brilliant that, film. <laughs> this film rivals Jarhead. In, Sorry, inf- infected that concept. You know, it, yeah, ha- it yeah. had that thing of oh, you don't have to like a war film can be like ninety nine percent just drama scenes, and then yeah. one thing happens. That's right. And so that was that idea of it however horrendously bad the dialogue and stuff is that 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 was a heavy 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 influence on uh, on my thinking when i did that and so if that was something that i was to pursue yeah a- and write like a, a war film uh it would have a huge impact uh because that is what the important part is shooting each shooting at each other is plot yeah that results in 
tension and drama and uh, stakes and cost if, you know, characters die or whatever. But it really, at its essence, it's kind of who's shooting at each other is dressing Yeah. Uh, for the emotional exploration of, of what this insane exercise that we participate in constantly as a race, uh, literally constantly, mm. without end, um, how how it affects people, particularly when we look at it from our stabilised, uh, westernised life mm. and go into these insane scenarios. Whereas if you're Sudanese or Somalian or something and this is a, this is normality, yeah. uh, it's, it's interesting that we, in the West, we participate, particularly America, participate so much in warfare, but from this perspective, and the film does raise that in a few points, um, as as I said to you when we were watching that bit where the colonel is um, addressing them and and he brings up this picture of this child that's been attacked with chemical weapons. Yeah. He's like, we're going to stop this shit, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, this guy is old enough to have been doing this in Vietnam. Yeah. You know? It doesn't... You're there, right. for, you're there for fucking oil, not to stop Kuwaiti children from getting hurt. Yeah. And, and it's that thing of when it was your interests, it was okay to to drop this shit on children. Mm. You know, Agent Orange and Napalm yeah. and all that stuff. Like, so it's okay. But and, and so I really do love that politically, that side of, of it. And they don't, they do bring that up politically throughout as well with uh, one of the characters where he's like, we're just here because the fat cats want to ki- keep control of their blah, 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 blah. Which from a cynical perspective, I totally agree with. I mean, the, the main reasons for... Desert Storm were to assert control in the Middle East whilst at the same time demonstrating to the world what the post-Cold War military of the United States is is and is capable of. And they had all this, like, lies and stuff that went went with it. They had this um, missile system that they said had, like, a 99.6 success rate of... Uh, Saddam Hussein had these missiles called SCUDs, yep. long-range missiles to do... And they could uh, they could be either be explosive or fitted with chemical weapons, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, they were firing them at Israel and you know friends of uh, America and stuff like that. And uh, so the Americans deployed this system of saying, "Hey, we have this uh, missile system that will stop all these missiles from falling." And they had all these demonstrations. All the demonstrations were totally flawed. It turns out that that missile has never in history intercepted a single missile. So it's just a complete lo- load of bullshit. Yeah. But it was about this showing who we are yeah. uh, in terms of military prowess. How, how can we look as big as possible um, and, as, and as dangerous as possible to everyone so that they know the world police is still here? Um, <laughs> but And with the sort of subtext line of the world police for places that we are interested in yeah. only. Um, America step in, and they, and they fucked over their allies in 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 the same instance. Like is, Israel was about to go to war with Iraq, and so they said, "Hey, we'll give you this missile system, and it'll stop them." And the Israelis went, "Oh, sweet, okay, then we won't go to war with Iraq." And the missile system didn't work, uh, and the missiles stopped getting fired at, at Israel before it was really noticed. The is- yeah. Israeli military did notice, but before it became such a big deal. But the Americans knew this and were completely willing to let the missiles from Iraq continue to fall on civilians in in, in, in Israel uh, if it just sort of served their interests. Yeah. Um, it was a very selfishly motivated, um, imperialistic 
type of warfare with that good old democracy uh, sticker slapped on top. Which I think is... And they do touch on it in a few points in the film. Yeah, totally. And I think that that's actually like a whole podcast in itself. But also one that I would love to do more research on myself because I know that I, I, a lot of the stuff I've heard comes from you or from Tom or whatever that uh, desert storm's complicated it's um yeah as one of the guys says in it you know there was that joke at the time of uh both for this war and before they went in uh two more times right so they were scared of the chemical weapons this time yeah then in 1990 somewhere i can't remember i think 1998 99 they ran an operation called desert fox because iraq said you can't come in and inspect our chemical weapons anymore and so they shut shut that down and so the Clinton administration blew the shit out of them. And then a few years later, uh, the Bush administration is like, we need to go and stop their weapons of mass destruction that they knew weren't there. Um, but it was that joke for the three times of them saying, well, we know that they're there, was how do we know? It's because we still have the receipts. <laughs> um, because they yeah. gave them all to Iraq because they hated Iran and Iran and Iraq fought a disgusting war through the late 70s into the 80s. Uh, for, I think it was quite long. I think it was like 10 years. Um, v- vicious, awful civilians yeah. murdered or just appalling. And um, which was why when they went into Desert Storm, they were so scared because that was what the Iraqi military had just fought through, ten, you know, five, 10 years earlier. Um, they were seasoned, incredibly hardened soldiers. And um, but the reason that the Iraqis had it was because the Iranians overthrew the United States had installed a government in Iraq in in Iran and they overthrew them yeah and they replaced it with a uh Islamist uh administration uh which is shit they are shit it's a pretty fucked up administration but they weren't pissed off that they were uh Islamists they were pissed off that it wasn't what they wanted yeah um and so they just had this anti-Iran thing and so they helped Iraq as much as possible to fuck up Iran with shit like chemical weapons uh so yeah it's this it's just this crazy thing of how dare you fucking you know drop this shit on these children it's like you gave him the stuff to do it with uh I just and I do like that they don't shy away from that because it would be it wouldn't be okay if they didn't you have to address the hypocrisy and the and the the imperialism of what they were doing so the most important point i took out of that was that uh your amazing um maybe not intentional wordplay when you said that clinton blew up and i don't think i can think of what clinton and the word blue or blow he did not have sexual relations with that woman (laughs) well said uh no like i said before he did this would be a really like interesting and it, it, it'll be an interesting podcast to talk about in, like, shitload of detail. Uh, that's that's kind of all you need. <laughs> yeah, that's all the you need. broad strokes. Broad strokes. But no, I think it'll be good to hear, like, a deeper perspective. Uh, you'd have to talk to, like, a journalist or historian about it. I just... That's broad, broad strokes stuff. It's interesting, but it's not... Um, it, it just... It, it makes the film more true in terms of yep. context and things that are said and done. Uh, it doesn't... The emotional journey is unaffected by those things. Yeah, you could have taken it out and still had the emotional journey, but it added to once again another example of yeah. Adding- I th- you know, Sam Mendes, like, I, he, you can't make a commentary, you can't study something, and he's to me he comes off the type of filmmakers he can't study something without making a comment because he feels that that would be not the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, well, maybe we should talk to him, bring him on the podcast, <laughs> tweet him, bro. 
Yeah, I, I was tempted to. I was tempted to actually, he like... Twitter, would he? He seems a bit up... Regardless. High, high class for Twitter. Like, hell, tweet Jake <laughs> Gyllenhaal and say, hey, man, let let him listen to this podcast about... Oh, like that. Do, do you ever listen to Gimlet's um, Mysteries show? No. It only ran for, like, five or six episodes, but the last episode was she was trying to find out how tall Jake Gyllenhaal Oh, you told me this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And how she eventually found out uh, was just, yeah, she found someone out. who knew someone through the manager and then... The manager lined up a phone call and he called her. But before that, she tried any other way that she could yeah. figure out. Um, and one of the resort- resorts that she went to was uh, her friend was at dinner and was like, you still doing that story about Jake Gyllenhaal? Because he is sitting at the table across from me. Uh, and her friend went up and was like, hi, oh, my God, how's it going? He's like, oh, yeah, do you want me to like uh, sign something for you or something? Do you want to take a photo? And they took a photo and she's like, how tall are you? And he's like, why is everyone asking me this? Yeah. Because <laughs> this person was like stoking the fires of this mystery. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he ends up telling her, I think he's like 5'9 uh, or 5'10 or something like that. I mean, that. that's important information. Um, but, but, but it's uh, for, he's, he says, it's, I don't know how, but for some reason I'm 6'2", like everywhere. Um, oh, on like so Wiki she, or whatever. Yeah, uh, like different websites were saying. Yeah, IMDb said I love this, that and that it's that like, so, it's, it's so like, stupid. Why? Yeah. Why yeah. is this? Maybe if thing? you're a, a call, a, what's it called? An agency, like an actor's agency, and you need to like for the reasons of. Oh, I imagine that's why. And then, yeah. but at some point, you just go, "It's a Jake Gyllenhaal." Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. You're gonna get. Jake Gyllenhaal. That's right. So, uh, You're going to make all the actors match his height if necessary. Yeah. Because it's Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. I mean, you know, the guy that played Gimli in The Lord of the Rings is like six foot four. Oh, yeah. So if you is. can do that, shut up. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll make it happen. <laughs> Fix it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. If Tom Cruise is taller than everyone in half the films he's been in. That's right. That really stops at like around 2002, 2005. That was a Spielberg intervention, I think, of like enough with the being taller than everyone already. <laughs> okay you can be at whatever height you want to be just be you that's right um, <laughs> um yeah so that's jarhead that is jarhead starring tom cruise there, i mean to be honest another really important point that i just want to say is like uh sunburn that's like i remember watching that scene like like every every scene in the desert being like how are they not all red i get that they probably wear sunscreen i get that that's probably a thing that still blows my mind it's really important facts it's hot in the desert so you're going to have a show, it's like, you know, fun facts about trees. And I'm going to have a show, weird, stupid shit no one thinks about and doesn't want to know about. I thought about it when they were sitting on that that pipeline and they were, and he brings over the scorpion. And I'm like, fuck, you guys should not be just like sitting out sunbathing. In the yeah, right. I wonder how many Arabian people that desert. went to Afghanistan got like melanoma. <laughs> like, I wonder if people actually properly used sunscreen. Afghanistan's pretty cold. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Doesn't mean. Uh, you don't I mean, get it's fucking summer. hot, right? But UV like, rays, man. Oh no, I know, but you know, maybe it's overcast a lot. Who knows? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. That's an effect UV rays. Yeah, yeah. Well, a certain type of UV retract rays. that. Yeah. No, I'm gonna keep your stupidity. <laughs> yeah, keep, in. keep my stupid in. I gotta keep as much of that as possible because it's gotta match my stupid. Um, what have we got? No, actually, that is that is actually that's every every point that I wanted to make. So yeah, awesome. Thanks for freaking potting with me, man. It's like, I love doing these things. We are just saying today that it's like, it's a great opportunity to hang out with a, a cool dude and also like getting to do this. And I love it. Do you know what I realized, as Uh-oh. we were talking before, with yeah. not about Jarhead. That you never want to spend any days. But with that me. thing that you wrote down earlier in your book. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm about to say. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> um, uh, what thing? That we should watch in our time with Matt. Oh, yes. 
Um, it's been we shot that ten years ago, like this week. Are you serious? Yeah, it was like two. It would have been a week ago or something. Like it would have been within the last fifteen days, ten years ago. We were shooting in our time. It would have been. Oh man, it was late September. Because I dated, I started dating Laura in two thousand eight. Like in like a week, uh, it might actually really pan out. It was just after we'd finished. No, I'm. T- I I because I. I can 100% tell you we were shooting in September. Yeah. That, that is definite. Uh, and it was the second half of September. I'm 99 Oh, my sure. God. That's crazy. <clears throat> so, yeah. 10-year reunion. <laughs> we should have a screening. Oh, yeah. Um, but we should definitely do a podcast with Matt. Absolutely. About I think be... we can totally do that. Yeah. Shit on ourselves. And <laughs> I was guess, I was thinking that literally for some reason. I love it. That's, that's a precursor to another episode. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. This is what we give you. We give you this... These tickets. we got to do it before future. the end of the year to make it a 10-year anniversary thing. That's right. Well, we will. Uh, we just got to make sure Matt doesn't go on his honeymoon. <sighs> so selfish. Yeah, Matt, right? Such a selfish guy. Um, yeah, man. Thank you very much for potting with me. This is always always a pleasure. Can't wait to put this one together. And uh, we'll see you on the next uh, cycle. Too easy. Woo! So that's the podcast for today. Stay tuned as there will be an episode released every single Thursday. And to keep up to date, don't forget to subscribe using Podbean or wherever you get your podcast. On this episode, I want to give a special shout out to Josh Lundberg for coming back yet again. This podcast was produced and edited by me, Piotr Wasilewski, and the music was sourced from the Filmstro website. Till next week, thank you for listening. Listener.